0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart.
1: Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
0: Golden, Colorado.
1: What do you want to da da What do y'all want to da da I have not a da with da da We could switch to Progresso-ta-da. Oh, yeah? We could switch to progress and sa! So. mm We could sa so enough to buy some za. So. Oh, yeah! Let's switch to Progresso-ta-da and get some za so with the money we saw. So. Yeah! Now we know. We're going to da
2: it da, da These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to progressive.
1: It might just be the most normal thing you da to da quote to da at progressive.com. Progressive Council, the insurance company and affiliates.
2: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090. Marishka's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. And Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, with locations in Burbank and Darien, visit ChucksCafe.com. Let's drop the actual hockey playing puck.
0: Welcome to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with NBCChicago.com's James Naveau and 670 the Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski.
1: Here right, I, Chicago! Woo!
0: Welcome in to the latest edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Where, guess what, folks? We have an actual game to discuss. Kind of. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 the score. Jay, I should have put an asterisk on that because <laughs> it was the first preseason game, and by God, you can tell. It was the first preseason game.
2: That was the preseasoniest preseason game that ever preseasoned.
0: We just, cre- we just created a new word, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Merriam-Webster. Forward all royalty checks to Jay Zawoski. That was that was brilliant.
2: Well, I don't know if you noticed this too, but like even the broadcast was kind of like grainy. Like the color was not sharp. It just looked like a second-rate broadcast. The building was empty. Pat Foley had on one of his suits from the '80s. It was just not a. The whole thing just felt drab from start to finish. And uh, the game itself, uh, let's get right to it. The game itself was not great. um, But Columbus played more regulars than the Blackhawks did. Anisimov was in for the Hawks. um, But as far as like the absolute sure things, he was really it, right? Uh, Eric Gustafson is probably on that level of sure thing at this point with Connor Murphy's injury and Jan Ruda's injury. Um, but
0: I'd say Marcus Kruger is probably Kruger. a sure thing. Yes. And, uh, Cam Ward also did play in the game too. So, right. I so, guess it was like four total.
2: Yeah. Uh, and you know, so those guys played fine. You know, I think they're playing not at top flight speed, nor should they in the first preseason game. I think those guys don't have much to prove. Let's just, you know, let's get to the positives. Cause there were some, first of all, I thought Cam Ward in his, in his limited time, he played half the game played pretty well. Um, not spectacular, but uh, you know the goals that were scored against him were reasonable. I, I guess you'd say they weren't soft by any means. Um, and again, they had you know kind of the second tier roster playing for the Hawks when Columbus had some actual like good players playing. Panarin didn't play, but Felino played, and Cam Atkinson played, and Seth, Seth Jones played. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't want to make too much of one preseason game, and I, I don't think we're going to. But I think the guys you expected to look better, even the uh, Yokoharus and the Haydens, they they sort of stood out from the rest. And, and I think that that's probably a, a good sign, even though it's not the most exciting thing to watch in the world. It's probably a good sign overall.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. And I, I was telling you, I was looking at the box score earlier because, I mean, you watch the game and. I'll be honest with you, Jay. I wasn't watching the way I usually do, which is with a uh, notepad and pen at the ready in case I see anything in the game that I want to mention on a post-game show or a future edition of the podcast. So I kind of didn't really realize this at the time, but I was going back through the box score and realized that the Blackhawks forwards in 60 minutes of action accounted for a whopping eight shots on goal between the 12 of them. And then to make that even better... Uh, the defenseman re- registered 14 shots and seven of those came from Eric frickin Gustafson. <laughs> I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Aside from that though, I like you, I was impressed with what I saw from Gustafson. He was definitely noticeable out there throughout the game. I liked what I saw for the most part from Yokoharu. Obviously these guys are not in midseason form by any stretch yet, but Joel Quenville did go out of his way to praise Yokoharu after the game said he really liked it obviously a huge opportunity for him with uh, Connor Murphy out of the lineup for eight to 12 weeks he's a right-handed shot could definitely get a very serious look at making the opening night roster and could even end up being as far-fetched as this would have sounded at the beginning of training camp he could potentially be your top line right-handed defenseman because of the injuries to Connor Murphy and then Gustav Forsling still out of the mix. Jan Ruda's day-to-day with a groin injury. Brent Seabrook's been dealing with an abdominal issue. Basically, the runway is clear. If Henry Yokoharu can land this thing, he can get a pretty sizable role on opening night. And while that may not be ideal, nothing like a little bit of uh, learning by fire, I guess. So good first impressions for Yokoharu. I liked what I saw from some other guys in the game. Alexander 14 had a goal. Uh, we did get to see a little bit of uh, Dylan Sakura and Artem and Isimov playing mm-hmm. with Victor Edsel. So lots of uh, kind of little positives, nothing like particularly crazy or groundbreaking from a team that, you know, only had 22 shots on goal and Hey, it was still the first preseason game. Yeah. So
2: we're going to get to the counter Murphy thing. That's something that needs to be addressed. Um, uh, and it even got a little bit worse today. We'll, we'll definitely get to that, but just sort of staying on last night's game, you mentioned Dylan Sakura. Um, and I saw this in the uh, preseason scrimmage, the training camp scrimmage as well. Offensively, I like his game a lot. Like, he definitely has an added element of speed and skill that some of these other sort of fringe forwards seem to lack. Um, He came out very early in the game uh, and generated a scoring chance very quick um, that, you know, required him to get in front of the net and and get in tight and make some moves, and it was a, a nice scoring chance. And there's been some good moments from him uh, already in the limited stuff we've seen this this preseason I just think the rest of his game really needs some honing really needs some development and that that can come that can come along I'm not i do not saying he's a disaster by any means but his defensive game lags way behind his offensive game um, and I wonder what sort of leash Joel Quenville is going to have on Dylan Sakura as the season goes on uh, he seems to me like he's definitely in the plans um, I think John Hayden is another guy who seems to be definitely in the plans. He was wearing an A last night. Um, His game, by the way, I really want him to be good. And I really feel like there's going to be like a breakthrough day where John Hayden just puts it all together and all of a sudden he's like Troy Brower or a poor man's Andrew Ladd. You know what I mean? Like a, a power forward with some scoring ability. But I think that he doesn't realize – that he is not the most skilled player on the ice all the time. I see him stick handling a lot, uh, trying to make an extra move here or there. When a guy with that sort of size in the NHL, if you can do that in Rockford, cool, right? Like you can do that in college, you can do that in Rockford. You're one of the more skilled players there. But when you get to the NHL, his talent, you know, uh, level is sort of dime a dozen. He needs to stop stick handling and just kind of play a north and south game. And I think once John Hayden starts doing that with regularity, he's going to become a much more effective player.
0: Would you uh, go with Andrew Shaw? Young Andrew Shaw is possibly a comp for John Hayden just in the way that he kind of hadn't learned the strengths of his own game yet. And so he was trying to do stuff that he maybe necessarily wasn't uh, capable of really doing on a consistent and quality basis. Yeah,
2: I think when you put it that way, for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the prototype player, they're pretty different. Hayden's a big kind of lumbering guy where Shaw is kind of like a small, like kind of uh, annoyance sort of a player but in right. that in that form of like dude you're in the NHL now you, there are certain things you can and can't do at this level um I think Hayden is learning that the hard way I saw a several times last night where he was just kind of trying to make that extra stick handle and just it got away from him he doesn't have the sort of speed he doesn't have the sort of hands to pull that stuff off uh you know here in the show as the kids call <laughs> it um yeah I like him I like Hayden's game a lot I, I think he's a good kid too I just want to see him adapt his game appropriately so he can be the most effective player he can be at the NHL level. Because they need a guy like that. They need a power forward. They need a guy that can park in front of the net and score some goals. They, that's something they, they still lack. And and if Artemanistimov is your most physical forward, um that's probably not ideal. That's not
0: that's not your <laughs> ideal scenario no. for sure, man. Like I, I think your Troy Brouwer comp in terms of like the actual playing style I think is probably about right. Maybe a little bit of Brian Bickle sprinkled in in there too. I think the camping in front of the net and kind of using uh, your little bit of size to your advantage, get some physicality going. I definitely could see John Hayden embrace that role. And he's just, he's never going to be a top three forward. That's just not his game. I don't think that's his ceiling. And I think you're right the sooner that he can kind of capture that identity of being that guy. Who's kind of your, you know, middle six forward, gets to the front of the net, gets some greasy goals. As soon as he can become that guy and stop with the stick handling, oh, look at me, I'm Alex DeBrynkit stuff, I think the better off he'll definitely be.
2: Yeah. Again, hopeful, uh, encouraged by what I've seen from him, but uh, just tone it down a little bit, you know, get your game uh, where it needs to be, and and I'm I'm confident he can do that. Uh, I just he's like kind of the last guy to realize that he's not uh like you said always to bring it or public well, you've, been,
0: you've been beating the john hayden drum for the last like two years man we've been doing this podcast for a while and i love that we have like these kind of like frames of reference now with what we've said previously man you've been a big john hayden fan from day one i would have thought he went to notre dame or something yeah
2: you think right um i i, <laughs> I want they, they just need a guy like that so badly that's all um other thing we want to mention about last night yokoharu who I thought was good, maybe not great. Um, I thought he actually looked better in a scrimmage game. I was really impressed with him in the scrimmage. Every time he was on the ice, I was focused on him, watching what he was doing, made really good decisions, sound decisions. I wrote about it for 670thescore.com, and I said he was unnoticeable in the best way possible, right? Like there were no glaring mistakes. He was making safe plays. When the opportunity presented itself for him to Mm -hmm. jump into the offense, he did, but he didn't force it. I really liked what I saw from him in that. After last night's game, Joel Quenville said he was excellent, and that like for Joel Quenville, to go out was his way to praise a young player. To me, that that's that's remarkable because he's not a guy that's going to heap high praise. I think ah, he was okay, you know, had some good moments. But he said the he used the word excellent to describe yeah. Yokoharu's game, and I was shocked when I saw that from Q.
0: Well, I think the thing that really stood out to me last night for Yokoharu, and obviously this is kind of a product of the uh, preseason where you're going to see guys by necessity playing in roles that you may not necessarily see them play during the regular season. I love the fact that Yokoharu a had the most ice time of any player last night, played over 23 minutes total. But I also love that Joe Quenville used him extensively, not only on the power play where you can kind of assume that he's going to get uh, time when he gets to the NHL level because of just his offensive ability. That's why they drafted him. Was these that, that kind of a player he can move the puck and do all that stuff at the blue line. I also love the fact they had him on the penalty kill, too. Mm -hmm. Like, just get him out there and get him into those situations because you never know when you're going to end up finding a guy who, you know, because of his athleticism or intelligence or whatever, could be a really good penalty killer. That is such a rare thing to find is a blue liner that can do both of those things. And the more reps that Yokoharu can get both on the penalty kill and the power play, and I thought he looked pretty decent on the penalty kill, to be completely honest with you. I thought that, like you said, he wasn't necessarily noticeable, but that can be a good thing in those kind of situations. You don't want a guy who's making like glaring mistakes out there. He didn't make any like particularly spectacular plays while he was out there, but he looked like he knew what he was doing. He didn't look like he was something like, you know, they pulled the janitor out of the stands and handed (laughs) him a stick, you know, like they he really did look like he had at least an idea of what he was doing. And obviously there's some polishing there fine-tuning that needs to be done but i did appreciate the fact that joel used him so extensively on both the power play and shorthanded like i said because you never know when you're going to find a gem in one of those areas well next
2: segment uh we're going to continue talking about this game but next segment i spoke to someone in the organization about yokoharu and uh, he, they raised an interesting point and i want to discuss that a little bit um a couple other guys that stood out by the way uh, I, I really uh, you talked about how i've been kind of a a fan of John Hayden's Victor Edsel is a guy who I've really liked since he got here and uh another guy who stood out to me uh in the scrimmage game and sort of last night he's a guy that when you look at this sort of glut of like foray hockey players right like is this guy an NHL or I think Edsel definitely looks like a guy who's an NHL or on most teams he's got some skill he's got some size uh I like the fact that he's being he's playing with some skilled players During camp so far, of course, all this stuff can change tomorrow if they wanted to. Um, But I like what I've seen from him so far. Overall, I think I'm sort of encouraged by what I've seen from the young players. Again, it's one preseason game and it's a training camp, uh, festival scrimmage. So I'm not going to go over my skis here. But so far, so good, and we're going to see more from them tomorrow in Detroit and a couple other games coming up here. We'll have to analyze a little more more thoroughly. But um, what I was afraid of. Was that the Hawks had a bunch of guys that were just kind of meh, right? It seems right. like some of these young players, while they may not be obviously at their potential just yet, they've got some young players that can actually be something. And uh Cahun, is that his name? Dominic
0: Cahun? Kahoon.
2: I say I it wrong. It's C-
0: I think it's Cahun. Yeah, yeah.
2: He's he's flashed a couple times too. Um, and I, I think that there that's a guy who's gonna get a real look that like you mentioned Yokoharu playing top minutes. I feel like he's going to play most preseason games. He's going to get a full audition here. But I think Cocoon might be a guy who is in their plans and they're going to see what he can do as well. Um, In the brief flashes I've seen from him, it's it's been positive. Um, A little more skill than I expected. Seems like a strong guy, like a strong skater. He's played pro hockey overseas for a while, so he's got that little bit of an advantage, a little bit more age than some other prospects, so uh, just a, another guy to keep an eye on, and while none of these guys are superstars, none of these guys are the next Artemi Panarin, there are a couple guys that look like they could be here, you know, full-time, and that, that to me is encouraging.
0: It was a little bit of a blind spot for my uh, radar coming into camp talking about Cahoon, and I definitely agree with you that it seems like the Blackhawks are kind of looking to give him a little bit of a fuller audition than perhaps I had expected yeah. during the preseason, just because there are so many guys competing for a kind of a limited number of jobs in the bottom six forward group. And that was kind of a guy I didn't really pay enough attention to. I don't think in the opening stages of camp, but obviously jumped onto my radar a lot last night, played over 18 and a half minutes, had an assist on Alexander 14's goal. I mean, he, is definitely a guy that they're trying to use in different situations and clearly seeing where his skill set is. So that's a pretty good catch by you. And having seen him play a little bit now, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he can do for the rest of camp and to see if he can perhaps rest a uh, roster spot away from a guy like that we thought maybe had kind of a shoe in spot in that bottom six.
2: Do you read into uh, like the jersey numbers guys are assigned? Uh,
0: i i used to do that but i also think nowadays like so many guys kind of you know don't really care what their jersey number is especially if it's already taken by somebody else it's like are you talking about like dylan sakura wearing the number 95 for instance that's different but like when i
2: see Cahoon wearing 24 That's not like 74, like 73 or like, you know, it's a number that is desirable in like most circles. So when I see a guy, I don't know, I'm I'm definitely reading probably too much into it. But if I see a prospect in a number like that, like 24, that tells me that they see him as a potential roster player. Again, Mm -hmm. maybe nothing, but he's not like some random like let's just grab two numbers out of the bin and hope they work kind of a number. (laughs) 24 is a number that's you know, reserved for decent players, right? The immortal Bob Probert. He's actually not immortal because he's dead, but you know what I mean? He wore number 24. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I I wore Bob Probert's jersey at my wedding, man. I I can say that. He's – I love the guy. By the way, he's in NHL 19. Very exciting.
0: He's in in NHL 19. I did not know that. Yeah,
2: he's good, too. He's like an 88 overall because they, you know, they jack him up a little bit for the – Cause he's like a le- they have a new category in the game like called alumni mm-hmm. so he's under the Red Wings alumni and he's like an 88 overall I was so excited is, when I saw him who was
0: the last blackhawk to wear the number 24. um Nick Boynton uh no there have been two Blackhawks that have worn the number since then okay let me think God I'm usually good at this. Obviously, everybody knows that Doug Wilson and Bob Probert are probably the two main guys that have worn the number. And obviously, my guy Martin Havlad also wore it. But two other guys, one of which uh, was traded by the Blackhawks, and then one is kind of just a guy. Wow,
2: I am usually so good at jersey numbers, and I'm totally blanking on this. Nordstrom this is my revenge
0: was... for uh, last week when you uh, sprung the quiz on <laughs> me, and I failed at it horribly. Nordstrom was 42, so it wasn't him. That That is correct. And still, I love the fact that there was a guy named Joakim Nordstrom and Joakim Noah playing in Chicago at the same time, both born on the same day.
2: All right, give me one more hint and see if I can get it.
0: Uh, I'm trying to think of the one of the guys was traded to the Canadiens.
2: Oh, uh, Dino.
0: Philip Dino. Okay. And then the other guy. I'm actually going to look up to see how many games the other guy played with the Blackhawks. See if this is actually a fair. Okay, he played one game for the Blackhawks.
2: <laughs> and who is that?
0: Spencer Abbott. <laughs> oh, yes. Who could forget? <laughs> yeah, who can forget the uh, Hamilton, Ontario native? By the way, where's he at nowadays? That's right, nowhere.
2: He's not. He's got to be in an AHL roster. He's one of those guys that just tears up the American Hockey League. He's like a Steve Malte, multi, whatever his name is, type. Yeah. That just dominates the AHL and can't do crap in the NHL. He's one of those guys.
0: He's played two like career NHL games. <laughs> like they go? that's that's so crazy to me. Like it, he's not even listed on another AHL roster. I'm looking at his hockey reference page. He's nowhere. Well, that's sad. That is sad. Like, I I thought, like, oh, yeah, he's probably tooling around, like, the KHL or something. No, man. Spencer Abbott apparently disappeared off the face of the earth. That one game with the Blackhawks fulfilled some lifelong dream of his, and now he's done.
2: (laughs) Who could forget that one game (laughs) with the Blackhawks? What a day it was for all of us, really.
0: He had one shot on goal, attempted two shots, and played eight minutes and 24 seconds for the Blackhawks in 2016-17. Also had a takeaway. I think he deserves more of a shot. Sign him up. (laughs) All right. It's been a long
2: time. We were 20 minutes into this thing almost. We've not taken a break yet. So let's take our first time out. When we come back, I'm going to let everybody know what I, my person inside the Blackhawks had to say about Henry Yokoharu making the team. And, of course, we'll talk about Connor Murphy's injury and a whole bunch more. But first, got to tell you about our friends at Triple Threat Sports. They are the place to go if your team needs a jersey, you need uh, a logo design, you need hats, jerseys, uh, bags, whatever. Triple Threat Sports is the place to go. Visit TriplethreatSports.com, 708-478-6090, or email Chris at TriplethreatSports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. We'll be right back with more on Henry Yokoharu and Connor Murphy on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
0: Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, the ultimate fan source of information for Spencer Abbott. And speaking (laughs) of players of that ilk, we need to check in, Jay, on a player that we brought up last year that has become a personal favorite of mine, and I've been following his career very closely, and that is none other than Riley Bourbonnet, formerly (laughs) Formerly of RPI, who finished up his college career in 2017, played some EHA, ECHL time last year, had 23 goals and 19 assists for the Wheeling Nailers of the ECHL. Former team of and, Scott
2: Darling, the Wheeling Nailers.
0: That's right. One of many. Uh, didn't he play on an SPHL team in Louisiana, too? Wasn't that a Scott Darling style? Yes.
2: By the way, I'm sorry. I meant Lamont native Scott Darling.
0: Oh, you forgot. See, you almost forgot. Yep. But it's okay. I'll forgive you.
2: Thank you. Uh,
0: yeah. He now, by the way, is with the Hartford Wolf Pack of the AHL. He's moving on up. Soon, we will see Bourbon A on an NHL jersey.
2: I can't wait. I can't tell you how excited I am about that. Um, by the way, another guy we were excited about, Shaw Boomhauer. He was. Uh, oh, really, yeah.
0: my God. You, you should have seen me at work today, Jay. You were crestfallen. Oh, uh, dude, I actually busted out my Hank Hill impression in sheer <laughs> shock that they cut Shaw Boomhauer. I totally went with the bull. I totally went with it, man. And my coworker, Shelby, was sitting behind me and knew exactly what I was doing. She's like, what happened to Shaw? And I was like, he got cut. It was a sad day at NBC Tower. And we were all really rooting for Shaw Boomhauer. I'm sure she
2: was very turned on by that very hip, and erotic impression you just did um all right well who wouldn't be
0: turned on <laughs> by a man who loves propane and propane accessories
2: strong point by you i stand corrected all right so <laughs> talking to one of this my is pe- the
0: dumbest podcast we've ever done well
2: we've got one preseason game to talk about um so uh <laughs> talk to a guy in the organization today um about yokoharu just sort of talking about how he's looked and everything um so i'll share this um conversation a little bit as much as i can um he said he's really looked good in camp uh compared to last year when he could barely do a drill right what a difference a year makes uh he goes on to say i hope they start him in the ahl because it's a hard position to play as a rookie Um, but they probably won't because of the injuries and everything so he'll probably start up and take forever to develop and probably never reach his true peak because he will just learn to survive rather than dominate now that's something that we haven't really thought about we talk about young players developing well you know what's better for a young player than to play at the NHL level against the best competition and that's how they develop this person in the organization brought this up to me and it was something I never really thought about before is you know the great Blackhawks defensemen like Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook played years in Norfolk and developed and then they came to Chicago and struggled mightily both of them early in their careers and then figured it out I think there is some value and I wonder if Connor Murphy was healthy and they you know Jan Rudo was healthy and Brent Seabrook was healthy if they would in an ideal world start Yokoharu and Rockford I know we still don't have total clarity on if they can do that because Bowman was asked about that before training camp and said we don't know but we're, we'll deal with it when it happens like okay and that was one of the reasons I thought for sure that Yoko Haro was going to make the team because Bowman seemed so unconcerned about his availability for Rockford um, but that's sort of a, a good point that I hadn't really thought of is it better for a guy to start at the NHL level and learn from mistakes or is it better to be in the American Hockey League dominate and hone the things you need to hone then come up when you're more ready I want Yokoharu to make the team, but that's an angle I hadn't thought about. And the way he put it when he said he'll just learn to survive rather than dominate, that those words kind of sh- they shook me a little bit. And I can see what that means, and I can see where he's coming from with that because um, that I think for a young player, even if someone as skilled as Yokoharu to come out and start the season against you know the top NHL competition. He is going to be, in a, in a sense, trying to survive. Don't make mistakes, right? Stay within your system. Don't, don't take a chance that you shouldn't. That's not the instinctual game. That's not the player the Blackhawks drafted, right? He's going to adapt his game based on what the Hawks need from him right now as opposed to what serves his game best. So I wonder if getting guy to the league too quickly, as much as we all want to see it as fans, may be in the long run detrimental. I thought that was a really interesting point.
0: I think it's an interesting point, and I think there's definitely something to it, especially considering how these guys definitely see these players day in and day out a lot more than even you and I do, Mm
1: -hmm. like
0: as observers of the team and people who host podcasts and write blogs and do all that stuff. The only thing I would caution against taking that kind of approach with Henry Yokoharu is this. How's the kid gloves approach working with Gustav Forsling so far?
2: (laughs) It's hard to tell, uh, but, but you're right. It's And he was a guy who was considered, like, a lot of people talked about him, like, he could be the next Nicholas Jalmerson.
0: Yeah, like, I, there's no, like, one-size-fits-all way of developing talent and, like, kind of getting the most out of players. And so I think at a certain point, you do have to trust the organization to determine whether or not it would be better for Yokoharu to learn at the NHL level instead of continuing to apply his craft at the AHL level, assuming he's even eligible to do so. But that is what I would caution is that you can't just automatically go, well, we don't want to, r- excuse me, run the risk of him not developing fully because he's trying to just survive at the NHL level. Honestly, like, I don't think that Alex DeBrincat would have benefited from going down to the AHL and playing with the Rockford IceHogs for an entire season. I think they played his development exactly right and bringing him to the NHL level and moving him slowly up the depth chart from kind of a third line guy up into more of a top-tier role. And I think that that's kind of the same attitude you're going to have to take with Henry Okaharu. You're going to have to evaluate whether or not it'd be better for him to learn certain facets of the game at the AHL level. And I'm not ruling that out as a strategy by any means. I just hope that the Blackhawks aren't going to rule out just letting him learn at the NHL level and potentially seeing that that could be the way to get the maximum out of his development.
2: Well, a good example, and I know he's not a, forward, or a defenseman, but Andrew Shaw was a guy who, when he was called up, was just sort of considered like, yeah, this guy's going to come up and provide some sandpaper and that's about it. And all of a sudden the Hawks found that Andrew Shaw was a really valuable player. Like there was really no drop-off between his AHL and NHL game. Like, the numbers sort of stayed the same. He was just as effective offensively. So you're right. It's not one-size-fits-all. My one concern is, debrinkit Shaw, these guys are forwards, and there's a little bit less responsibility on them. There's also less of a spotlight when they make a mistake. When mm-hmm. Henry Yokoharu makes his first mistake this year, and he will, there's going to be a big spotlight on him because chances are a mistake made by a defenseman ends up in the back of the net, right? Whereas if Andrew Shaw or Alex debrinkit turn the puck over at center ice, there's a, you know, checks and balances behind them and Duncan Keith sure. or Brent Seabrook or whoever, when a defenseman screws up, it's, it's, more glaring. And this is when you get into the, um, the mental toughness of a player. Like if he has a spell where like, you know, a span of three games where he's like minus six, is that going to be something that affects him? Something that gets into his head from all I've seen from Henry Yokoharu, from his time, from the moment he's been drafted to today, I see a mature kid that gets it and understands, and I think what we've seen from him already this preseason sort of displays his maturity. He knows that he's got a real chance to make this team, but we're not seeing him go try to do crazy things to impress people. He's playing a solid, steady game. He knows that that's what it's going to take for him to make the team, and that to me shows a sign of mental toughness and mental maturity where, yeah, maybe he can go out and skate some circles around some of these other prospects and he could mm-hmm. try to put on a show and, and do some spinoramas and stuff like that. Instead, he's doing what is the smart thing to do, playing sound defensively and letting the offense come. And as his career goes on and as the season goes on, that offensive game will open itself up more. But I love the way he's approached this preseason so far, and I think that's a huge indicator of his uh, mental toughness and hockey intelligence.
0: I certainly think that's fair, and I think that uh, the the – Discussion you had with the man from the organization Who did not uh, identify um, it, It's definitely worth considering But I also would say again That this team's track record With developing defensive prospects Has been less than stellar in the last decade or so Would you agree with that? Yes
2: I'm, I'm okay. failing to think of a really good defenseman That they've developed in the last So, you know, back to 2008 Mm-hmm um, my,
0: my point is not that they're like incompetent or bad at their jobs or whatever. My point is maybe you just need to think a little bit more outside of the box and not necessarily fall back on the conventional wisdom that he needs a year or two at the AHL level before you can expose him to the rigors of the NHL. And I know that yeah. the Blackhawks are not like necessarily building a defensive core that's designed to contend right now. They're definitely looking more two, three, four years down the line. And that's totally fine. Like that's a, organizational philosophy and shift and that's totally understandable but I also would caution not to immediately deploy the kid gloves just because you've had those experiences with other players I think that the way they've done this the last 10 years or so maybe you need to think outside of the box just a little bit well
2: and I wonder if I wonder if the approach is changing I I think we're seeing this in, in a lot of sports actually where young players be it hockey basketball baseball football they're coming out and they're contributing right away like how many 19 year olds are contributing in Major League Baseball now and how many I mean look at Alex Debrink it's a great example 19 year old kid who is small by any sports standard came out and was the second leading scorer on the Chicago Blackhawks last year like young players are making impacts more quickly in sports than ever before and it has to do with the training. It has to do with the nutrition. It has to do with all the science that's gone into developing players since they were – what? I mean, hockey players pretty much know if they have pro potential from, what, age 11, age 12. They've yeah. got a pretty good idea if they're going to be pros or not. So it's you can't compare it to the 80s and 90s or even the early 2000s. Just sports medicine has changed so much, and there isn't such a huge jump anymore. And younger players in all sports are ready to contribute right away – Uh, more than ever before so right
0: right. about the only exception to that is the NFL but I and I would also say that uh, at least in terms of baseball I think a lot of that has to do with uh, expense of the players obviously there's been a lot of talk about how guys or teams are kind of gaming the system to pay guys less to contribute more and then in the NHL it's a little bit of that, but it's also mainly the fact the game has changed. It used to be a much more physical game, and now the game's a lot more wide open and a lot more offensive. So it has been fascinating to watch kind of the evolution of these sports. And like you said, the young guys kind of come up and make an immediate impact instead of kind of having to pay their dues and get in in two to three years after they're drafted.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a good thing, and I'm really excited to see um, Yokoharu um, start his career on the Blackhawks, I'm that to me is really exciting, and it makes this season instantly more interesting. All right, time for another timeout. Uh, promise we talk about Connor Murphy. I have a little story about Connor Murphy. I don't know if it's going to add anything to the injury stuff, but I've got a little something that I think is noteworthy. Uh, and then we'll uh, get ready to answer some of your emails on the other side. You're listening to Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, which is brought to you by our friends at Marishka's, 604 Theodore Street, and Crest Hill. Family owned and operated since 1933. We tell you every week, every episode about the poor boys, about the steaks, about the chops, everything at Mariska's is outstanding. Uh, you will love it. It is a place that has been managed with love and care for a very long time, and it shows Joe and his family out there uh, holding it down doing a great job head out to Crest Hill you owe it to yourself you owe it to your family to go out to a uh, quality meal places like Mariska's are rare these days Uh, it's a true old school supper club with old school cooking methods and just terrific food so check them out 604 Theodore Street hit them up on marishkas.com or facebook.com slash marishkas they're closed only on Christmas Easter the 4th of July and Thanksgiving so go see Joe And our friends at Marishka's. that's M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S, 604 Theodore Street and Crest Hill. We'll be right back with more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
0: Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, where we broke down extensively, probably more extensively than I thought we would, the Blackhawks' first preseason game. We also talked a little bit about the organization's philosophy with some of its young players, including Henry Yokoharu. Now we're going to get into some talk about some of the veterans on the team who are a little bit banged up and maybe a little bit more banged up than we had originally anticipated. We're going to do a little bit of an injury roundup here. We're going to start with the big news of today, which is that Connor Murphy's timetable has been shifted slightly. Originally, the team said he'd be out about eight weeks. But today, Dr. Michael Terry issued a bit of a caveat to that which is that Murphy is going to be reevaluated after six weeks of rest. And if he is not where they think he needs to be, then he could be sidelined for an additional couple of weeks. So his timeline originally was about eight weeks to return from the back injury. Now it's about eight to 12 weeks. So, you went from potentially getting him back maybe in November to now between November and December. So not great news for the Blackhawks. Obviously, they had some high hopes for Connor Murphy this season, especially with some of the steps backward that other guys on this blue line have taken. And it kind of stinks that you're not going to have him on the ice for the start of the regular season. It's definitely a blow to the team. For sure. And look, I don't want to
2: blow this out of the proportion, whatever. Uh, I was at the Cubs game a week ago. A week ago, today's Wednesday, the 19th, so I was there on the 12th, and I sat very close uh, to the field, and about four rows in front of me was Connor Murphy wearing a Daniel Murphy Cubs jersey, because you see they have the same name, um, and smiling, having a good time. Uh, I saw him move up and down the stairs several times, like to go to the washroom, go get concessions quickly. I didn't notice any sort of you know, uh, inhibited movements, anything like that, anything you'd see from someone who's got a 12 week back injury. I would like to know how this happened. Um, we didn't hear anything about it until camp opened. And again, just to remind people camp had not opened on Wednesday yet. So, um, they were opening, I believe it was either, I think it was Thursday was the, or no Friday was the opening of camp. And then the scrimmage game was Saturday because the scrimmage was the second day at camp. So this was two days before, uh, the Hawks had a report and all that stuff. I wonder if he got hurt training. I wonder if he got hurt, uh, taking a physical. It's very strange. Like this was not the guy. And look, I know that injuries can hide themselves. Like you can, a guy can have something wrong with him and look normal to the naked eye. But I saw a guy moving up and down stair. The stairs are Wrigley are big. Like they're, you know, they're probably what? Like three feet long each step. So it, it takes a big stride to get up and down those stairs. And I saw him attacking one stare at a time and sort of like a half run seemed fine. And I'm not saying that anything untoward happened, but something happened to me seemingly between Wednesday and Friday. And I'd like to know exactly what happened that got Connor Murphy injured because the guy I saw at the Cubs game was not injured. He was not uncomfortable. He was turning around, talking to people behind him in his chair, just having a normal night. And uh, I was very surprised after seeing that to hear that he was hurt in that severely
0: yeah that was uh, kind of a last minute kind of abrupt thing like it it definitely took everybody by surprise that at least i had seen i did not uh see any reports during camp that he uh was dealing with any type of injury or anything like that so it was certainly surprising to see his name pop up like you A thing like Brent Seabrook, abdominal injury, it's probably something that kind of popped up during training, whatever, like it's a week or two kind of injury, and he was back in a couple of days. A 12-week back injury is a whole different animal and was definitely a surprise to me. And like you said, my thinking is he probably just hurt it kind of in training, maybe injured it during the physical. Wasn't there a player in... I want to say it was an Ottawa senator maybe that got injured during his physical this year as well. Like, I'm I'm wondering what what could you possibly be doing during a physical that would lead to a 12-week back injury? Did you try to do one too many pull-ups? Were you, like, doing sit-ups and somebody decided it'd be funny to put a, you know, razor-sharp spike under your back? (laughs) Like, I have absolutely no idea what could have possibly happened. But, yeah, that was definitely bizarre and i did not know that you had seen connor murphy at the uh cubs game so i think until proven otherwise until we know exactly what happened and god knows the transparency the organization is showing now with injuries which by the way we haven't even brought that up yet so let's talk about that in a second but i think until further notice we have to blame you
2: oh that's fair i (laughs) I, i must have like looked at him and injured his back is that what you're saying
0: yeah, like or no, he like whipped his head around and was like, is that Jay Zawaski of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey oh. Podcast? You know what's really hey. funny? I,
2: I did, <laughs> I'm, it's funny you said that. So this weekend <laughs> I went to, I said I went to the, uh, on Friday, went to the uh, Hawks Training Camp Festival. Uh, that was Saturday. Friday night, I went to see Jason Isbell at um, the Auditorium Theater.
0: Does he play anywhere other than Chicago? I feel like you go to a lot of Jason Isbell uh, Every concerts. time he's here, I see him. That's, okay. yeah,
2: that's my policy uh same with Lydia Loveless who I'm seeing on Monday anyway so I'm Thanks at for the... the invite bro. Yeah. whatever uh name a song go that's what I thought no. okay so I'm at the Isbul concert and I get recognized by five people are you Jay are you Jay Zawoski one guy I was standing in line to get a coke because I was not in the mood to drink believe it or not um cut through the line and then like stopped turned around and he's like Zawoski I'm like yep he's like cool and then like left again um, so five people at the Jason Isbell concert recognize me. I will challenge you. How many people recognize me? The host of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, 670 Discourse, Hockey Analyst, and Columnist. How many people recognize me at the Blackhawks Training Camp Festival? What is your guess?
0: Uh, I'm going to guess that Ponytail Dave ran up to you and gave you a big, <laughs> big, giant hug, and that was it.
2: I wish he had. The answer is zero. <laughs> <laughs> not a single person uh recognized me and i i don't care i don't i never expect to be recognized but i thought like coming off a night where five people recognized me at a place that was not like necessarily somewhere that they'd be looking for me i guess you'd say um i thought that was surprising i thought it was interesting i was like wow that many people recognized me at a concert like tomorrow's going to be crazy and, it and, t- wasn't. and
0: today on Jay Zawaski humblebrags about how famous he is.
2: Yeah, I'm super famous. I'm famous in the, the following circles. Um, Chicago Blackhawks hockey fans, which is a shrinking circle. <laughs> and yeah. fans of independent uh, alter- alternative country. Two of the biggest booming industries this country has to offer, my friend. I am a yeah. huge celebrity, let me tell you.
0: Yeah, it's beating off uh, groupies what? with a stick. And I don't
2: beat anyone off anymore, damn it. I'm married now.
0: Ah, zing. Uh, all right, so we uh,
2: before we get to uh, Corey Crawford, I sort of buried the lead here. Uh, James and I, we have a new feature on the podcast. We have voicemails. That's right. That, that is right. You can call us up and leave us a voicemail. Here are the rules. Keep it clean as best you can. If it's anything really bad, I'll beep it. Keep it concise. I don't want a three-minute rambling. I want something like 15 to 30 seconds that I can play and we can respond to. So maybe write it out before you leave it. If you want to leave us a voicemail, 708-713-5324. 708-713-5324. We set this up through Google Voice, which I didn't even know was a thing until I started Googling like free voicemail services and there it is. So give us a call. 708-713-5324. Leave us a 15 to 20 second message. Obviously let us know your name, where you're from, all that good stuff. And we'll start playing them as part of our podcast every week. Should be fun.
0: Yeah. Um, that was a thing that we kind of spoke into existence. I think I randomly like brought that up to you, Jay, that we could potentially do something like that. and It had been something that had been percolating around in your head too. And then Jay did what he does best, and he Googled it and he figured it out. <laughs> I'm a genius. Yes.
2: I Googleized so, it.
0: So we have now spoken this into existence. And another thing we spoke into existence, and I'm sure people saw on Twitter, I made this, or on Facebook, I made this comment that on last week's show, we were deriding the Blackhawks for a lack of transparency with injuries and that kind of stuff. And then lo and behold, they get to trading camp the next day, and now all of a sudden. It's a policy of the team that they're going to tell you exactly what the injury is that a player is dealing with. And that is continued because they literally sent an email today saying that Jan Ruda was day to day with a groin injury. And I was like, we have truly gone through the looking glass. Now this team all of a sudden is being transparent. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Jay, you and I made it happen.
2: Well, In fairness, you made it happen because I'm like the lone person that doesn't care about this. I couldn't care less that they didn't tell you specifically what's wrong with the player. I think the Corey Crawford thing aside, that's different. We're talking about a franchise player with an injury that was stretching over the period of what, eight months with no update. That's different. But in season, if Jonathan Taves has a a sore left shoulder, I don't see reason to tell Brad Marchand about Jonathan Taves' sore left shoulder. I don't see the benefit of that. So I got the secrecy and I understood it and it didn't bother me. I'm glad they're telling us. I think it's better that we know for your and you know, for the podcast purposes and for my purposes at the score and yours at NBC. I don't think it benefits the players in any way. Um, And all it does in my mind is put a target on said injury. So I never had a problem with then keeping specific injuries private I'm glad they're doing it now, but it never really bothered me the way it bothered a lot of other people that cover the team.
0: All I heard was that I called something into existence and it worked. I missed everything else that you said. So it's totally true.
2: You get all credit (laughs) for that.
0: Yeah. I, I am the King of reverse jinxes. And now apparently the King of forcing the Blackhawks to change longstanding organizational policies. So now that I've brought that up, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say that they need to uh, get rid of Hawk vision or whatever it was that Dollar <laughs> Bill Wirtz had back in the 90s. Let's uh, never speak of that again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, before we get to emails, we do need to uh, do one other thing, which is our Corey Crawford update, which is kind of surprising. We haven't touched on this yet, considering how big of a deal this is and for their season overall. Corey Crawford uh, has been skating for the most part. I think they said he's done five out of six or six out of seven days he's done some on ice work and today very brief I think it was like 15 minutes or so that he was out on the ice and uh, Joel Quinville said he will not skate tomorrow so clearly taking it easy on him any cause for concern yet that he hasn't been uh, ramping up a little bit more than this
2: um I'm not ready to say he's not I think I think there's a plan I think there's an established plan to get him back um I think Going hard one day, taking it easy the next day doesn't necessarily mean that it's not ramping up. I think they're just being safe. And I'm not as... Fu- Look, now that we know what it is, and now that we know that he'll be back when he can be back, I don't feel the need to like revisit it every podcast because I think it just kind of is what it is. I'm glad they're taking their time. I'm glad they're being understanding. I'm glad they're not trying to pressure him to come back before he's ready. Those are sort of my fears was because remember in the offseason conversations were you know are they trying to make uh like to humiliate him and embarrass him do they not believe that he's really hurt do they truly not know what's going on um I think those questions have kind of been answered and now we know what it is we know what he's dealing with they said he'll be here for training camp and he was he's not ready to play (laughs) but he was there at training camp because that's what they, they said we expect him to be here and he was there so Um, I'm glad to see him out there more days than not. If we see, you know, two, three days off in a row, then I think it's room for concern. But I think an off day here or there or a less intense day uh, mixed in with some intense days. I don't think that makes a huge I don't think that doesn't concern me very much. It's it's if we see extended days off where I would start where that would, you know, put a red, red flag up for me.
0: I am not an emailer, so I shouldn't have gotten to ask you that question, I suppose. However, <laughs> I think it's a perfect opportunity for us to welcome in the real emailers and answer some questions. How does that sound? Let's do it. Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod.
2: The email segment, as always, is brought to you by our tasty friends at Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien, visit chuckscafe.com. Do you like Mexican food? Of course you do. You're a warm-blooded American or something. Do you like barbecue? Who doesn't? Do you like Cajun food? Of course. Do you like wings and burgers and and beer? Hell yeah, you do. Well, you're going to love Chuck's because all that stuff and more is there for you. Uh, The daily specials are where Chuck's really uh, raises the bar as a restaurant option. Uh, my favorite is the Saturday special, the Coach Pibil, But anything from an in intense, exotic Mexican dish like that to barbecue nachos, everything on the menu is spectacular. Go to Chuck's, check them out. Again, Burbank, Darien, Chuck'sCafe.com. You'll see all the menus, you'll see all the specials. Pick the day you want to try the special and go there. You'll be back again and again. We love our friends at Chuck's. Can't wait to be back there very, very soon. All right, first email. Excuse me. Just had a Diet Coke and I'm a little bubbly. Okay. (laughs) Alex from Oklahoma says, Hello, James and Jay. How are y'all doing? We're good. He says, After being reminded of Jay's dislike of Chris Chelios on the recent podcast, who are other players, don't have to be former Blackhawks, that you don't care for?
0: Mm. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure some of these things are pretty obvious. Like, if I say the name David Backus, I have a visceral hatred of that guy i don't like him at all yep i i would not be sad if uh milan lucic was involved in an unfortunate uh accident with a moose Um, that would not be
2: an accident from him
0: ah got him i am not an ian cole fan don't particularly like him either I'm trying to think of, like, former players that kind of got under my skin. I mean, there's the obvious ones, like Rafi Torres, who yeah. I've always fantasized about hitting with, like, one of those, like, mallets that a clown swings around. I think that'd be fun. That would be cool. Yeah. um,
2: Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, tr- guys that I don't like that don't deserve it.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, tr- I, I'm I genuinely I think Ian like Cole is, pr- is probably a oh, good one. dude, you know who my all-time least favorite athlete is, and I just really don't have a whole lot of rational reasons why? Adam Eaton, good God. I, ugh, I I get sick when I think about Adam Eaton. Screw that guy.
2: Well, mine is also non-hockey, and mine is also baseball. Mine is Ryan Dempster.
0: Oh.
2: Go oh, away with you your don't phony like ass. Harry Carey impression? Uh, actually, it's a Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey impression. And second of all, uh, I have the, uh, the distinct pleasure of working in media and getting to know some of these guys behind the scenes. When he was a player, total chode. Total chode. He's been better in retirement good easy to deal with nice guy whatever and a lot of players reinvent themselves after they retire but when he was a player just not a just kind of a dick so yeah. uh not a big fan of his i will say uh meeting jeremy roenick has been one of the biggest disappointments of my life not that he was necessarily like a jerk but just kind of like too cool for the room but he'll still be the reason i i started to love hockey and i'll never let that go but uh, i'm trying to think of like guys i just don't like like if there used to be a lot like Patrick Poulin was a Blackhawk when I like, started be, started being a fan. And I never liked him. Um, I don't know. There's not a lot of guys around the league. I just hate for no reason. Like there, there's definitely like, like you said, like Bacchus or Raffy Torres, like those guys have done something for me to yeah. dislike them. There's no one. I'm just kind of like, Ugh, screw that guy for no real reason.
0: Definitely hate Corey Perry.
2: Yeah. Uh, but he's, again, he's yeah, laced
0: water basically.
2: Um, yeah, boy, I wish I had a better answer for you there. Yeah,
0: I just i I really have no reason to hate Adam Eaton other than what kind of grown man like calls himself Spanky and is okay with it. Yeah,
2: like Nick Swisher type guy. Ugh. Yeah. Um, oh, and Adam of... and
0: Adam Dunn can suck a butt.
2: <laughs> okay, he did for a long time on the outside um, Side. <laughs> speaking of that, Henrik Zetterberg calls it a career. Uh, that is a guy who I always liked, despite him being on the Red Wings. Uh, Always liked his game. Awesome two way player. Uh, would do things that would dazzle you. I think later in his career, sort of lost the spotlight to Datsuk, who was a flashier player than he was. I compare Zetterberg and Datsuk a lot to Iserman and Fedorov, where at the time Fedorov kind of got like the spotlight because of how electrifying he was, but Iserman was such a great player. Uh, and I think now that his career, both of their careers are over, Iserman is getting the credit that he deserves but uh zetterberg was steve eiserman
0: no i'm just kidding oh
2: my god i was gonna drive to bourbon a and then stop at the world's best b-dubs eat and then come and beat the (laughs) hell out of you (laughs) sucks to see him leave the game you want to see guys retire like on their own terms and the fact that he can't play anymore because of injury is that sucks even like chris pronger who i didn't like i didn't want his career to end like that he was too good of a player uh and too good of a personality really to have his career end in such a crappy way you know I, I want to see guys like retire on their own terms I hate when any athlete is forced to retire because of their body just won't let them play anymore that sucks
0: I completely agree and the only thing that I will say that you did not mention with Henrik Zetterberg is god that man could rock a beard oh super ha- jealous of his beard ability man
2: so handsome by the way just a sexy... so sexy oh good god good lord uh, our buddy, Joe Cromwell, this is not an email, but he gave us an Alex to bobblehead from the, uh, tournament from the yeah. prospects, uh, camp, by the way, delighted my daughter, Addie because Alex to bobblehead is stick handling a ball of yarn because get it. Cause he's a cat.
0: Oh my God. Then call him <laughs> the cat or yeah. call him whatever. Don't call him Brinksy hey, for Brinksy. God's sake. Yeah. uh Uh,
2: so joe cromwell has donated that to our eventual charity event um that's still to be announced we're working on it um but it's happening it's going to be at Rabbit brewing in homewood it's coming soon probably november uh just got four copies of nhl 19 in the mail courtesy of the people at electronic arts ea sports hooking us up for the second year in a row uh the blackhawks have already pledged to help us out with uh tickets or jerseys or something um the chicago wolves has pledged our support so lots of things uh, on the horizon for that event if you want to donate every five dollars gets you an entry in a raffle you don't have to be there to win every penny we raise goes to my friend andy garcia who lost his wife to cancer uh i think it was nine months after she gave birth to twins leaving andy behind with three children uh, to care for on his own and every penny we raised at that event will go to andy and his family Madhouse. Uh, i'm sorry gofundme.com slash madhouse every penny earned on the GoFundMe uh goes to Andy's family. $5 gets you an entry. So if you pledge 10, that's two. 15, that's three and so on and so on and so on. So let's help them out. If you want to just pledge support to the podcast every month, look, if everyone pledged a dollar a month on our Patreon site, James and I would be very very happy. <laughs> We'd be rich. We'd be not rich, but better off than we are now a dollar a month goes a long way if enough people do it so patreon.com slash madhousepod if you want to pledge monthly a dollar two dollars five dollars whatever every penny helps um and a good chunk of that money goes to the podcast equipment uh travel events like you know james and i'll probably have to buy some food for this event we're having uh all that comes from our patreon so either way help out andy help out us whatever you want to do do both uh, everything is appreciated next email all is, i
0: heard was party bus to a rockford ice hogs game when you were talking about our patreon
2: that dude that sounds
0: like a great idea see i am a, i'm a genius
2: oh let's not go nuts okay uh adult <laughs> haircut dave our guy oh he says i'm feeling very apprehensive about the beginning of the season can you give me three reasons that the blackhawks can be can contend for a playoff spot this year and, Jay, can you Google the last time the Blackhawks ended the preseason with three state home games? No, I cannot because I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: three... Hey, Jay, I'm going to cut you off like adult haircut Dave did to his ponytail. Yeah, thank you.
2: All right, God. three reasons for optimism. You want to go first?
0: Uh, well, I mean, optimiz- piece of optimism number one is seeing if uh, Alex Dobrynkit and Nick Schmaltz can take another step forward. I had a lot of fun watching those guys last year really, to me, were kind of the highlights of what was otherwise a lost season. And getting to watch them continue on this road into the NHL, I think, is definitely a reason why I'm going to be tuning in in the current season.
2: Uh, I agree with that one. I think the fact that Corey Crawford is skating now could indicate that he'll be on the team and playing for the bulk of the year. I think that's a reason for optimism. Um, I think another one for me is...
0: Cheap tickets to games.
2: Well, that... But I, I think another one for me is is uh, that Jonathan Taves is Jonathan Taves, and I think that that's a dude who takes a lot of pride in what he does and probably is a little bit embarrassed about how his last couple seasons have gone. And I'd be surprised if he does not have some bit of a resurgence this year. And I think Brandon Saad is probably uh, on deck for the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Anything I else? Uh, agree d- with both of those.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think those are some pretty good ones. I think obviously – uh, kind of going into this season a little bit more under the radar. I always love when teams kind of come out of nowhere and surprise you and maybe the Blackhawks have that in them this year. I mean, maybe they're being underestimated by everybody kind of including us. Honestly, I would love nothing more than to see them come out and kind of prove us wrong and I always love that kind of underdog mentality in the team
2: when you've you. It's funny. You've heard them sort of allude to that a little bit like uh, people might be overlooking us or thinking we're done Um these Hawks are hearing what people are saying about them. Like there's no doubt about like, don't forget a lot of these guys are the same ones that won three Stanley cups and did it with guts and ferocity and want to and will. Um, And maybe that fire doesn't burn quite as hot as it used to, but um, they're prideful guys and they care about what they do. And and I think we're going to see a bit of a bounce back from a lot of like the core guys this year. You see Brent Seabrook, who is you hear this every camp and every sport in the, quote, best shape of his life. But I've seen Brent Seabrook and I've never seen him look as fit as he looks right now. So um, there are some reasons for feeling okay, for not feeling terrible. And I think suddenly, like the defensive depth is a little better than maybe we expected. Even with Murphy out, Yokoharu looks like if he makes the team, it's not going to be like, okay, let's hope this goes all right. He seems to actually look ready. And maybe even if Murphy was healthy, he'd still make the team. Um, and I think Eric Gustafson sort of growing and becoming a guy that they rely on more often instead of sporadically is going to be a good thing. There, there are some reasons for optimism. I don't think they're cup contenders, but I would not be surprised if they're a playoff team, especially if Crawford is there for eighty percent of the year, seventy percent of the year. If if you know Cam Ward can be, you know, a decent hold it down kind of guy, then they got a shot.
0: You said it perfectly, my man. They, I don't think they're a cup contender, even if Corey Crawford comes and blows the doors off the United Center, but it's not particularly out of the realm of possibility for them to snag a wild card spot or maybe even sneak into that number three spot in the West if kind of everything uh, breaks their way. All
2: right, last email comes from our guys, uh, Spike T. It says, hey, guys, I hope Crawford is getting better and can return, but I have my doubts. If Crawford is done, which would be crushing, I think I have a fix. Offer of draft picks and prospects for both Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin. The only thing is figuring out how to make it work in the salary cap. The Hawks need a blockbuster trade like this. What do you think? It was funny. Last night, Eddie Owen Foley talked about this a lot. They spent the better, what, probably two-thirds of the third period talking about how Columbus knows that Panarin's gone. I mean, that's a given. He's basically said, like, I'm going to leave. Uh, But Bobrovsky's not been quite that committing committal to leaving, but that's another guy looking at a huge deal as an unrestricted free agent and they don't want to be what the Islanders are with John Tavares, where their best player just goes. So I'd be shocked if if neither of those guys are I think they're both gonna get traded this year unless Columbus looks like a really strong cup contender, which I know they took the caps they took it you know, it was a good series against Capitals, but I don't think they're Stanley Cup contenders just yet. Um, so I think they need to get something for Panarin and for Bobrovsky if they're going to walk. And and I think you see both those guys traded. I think for the Hawks to get them is pretty unrealistic. Yeah, if they want to get Panarin, it's going to cost Schmaltz and or it.
0: And why would you do that?
2: Right, and and it's, Panarin's also going to get nine to ten million as a free agent.
0: Yeah, forget that. They yeah. can't afford that, and giving up that price for a rental would be silly.
2: Yeah, I. Again, if it you know if you still had Taves and Kane and those guys like in their prime, Keith and Seabrook in their primes, like it was 2013, you felt like you needed that one extra piece to get over the hump, maybe you give up your two top prospects to make it happen. But I think at this point in the organization, they need Schmaltz and they need to bring it to be the next wave of dominant Blackhawks forwards. And so far it looks pretty good. Um, I don't know if they will ever get quite to the level of Kane or Taves when they were at their peak, but you can have two like legit top three forwards on your team for the next 10 years if you keep those guys. And I think they should and will do everything they can to keep those guys locked up long term.
0: I'm going to quote a very popular Disney movie and what I'm going to say in response to this question. Let it go. Artemi Panarin is not the answer here. You do not need to trade for him And sign him to a free agent deal. Surprisingly enough. There are other forwards in the NHL. That the Blackhawks could potentially make moves. And get if they really feel like. They need to add another score. I think that the price would be too high. For Artemi Panarin. I mean I know he's obviously a very strong player. But there is a reason the Blackhawks. Got rid of him. It wasn't because he was a one trick pony. In the immortal words of Jay Zawoski. They gave him up because they knew they could not afford to re-sign him, and they wanted cost certainty and tenure of contract in the form of Brandon Saad, and that's why they made the deal. Undoing that and trading away a player of the caliber of Debrinket or Schmaltz to get it done would be a really silly move by Stan Bowman, and one that I don't think would necessarily fit the kind of mold that he's kind of cast during this offseason, which has not been to operate with a particularly strong sense of urgency. You can't look at Brandon Manning and Cam Ward and Chris Kunitz and tell me that this team is eager and ready and willing to go out and win a Stanley Cup right damn now. To me, it indicates that they're looking for some placeholder guys. And Artemi Panarin certainly does not fit that bill.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do think the Hawks do this to themselves a little bit by constantly training for old players where fans just think it's going to happen all the time. Um, Panarin's great, and he's a really good player, and I was wrong about him. I'll be the first guy to admit it. Um, but there, like you said, there's no way. There's no way they can acquire him, and even if they do, there's no way they lock him up long term. There's no way. And and look, you need, uh, aside from Schmaltz and it. If you want to tag those guys and not trade them by any means, make them unavailable, okay, then it's going to take Yokoharu and Bo, Boquist and Bodan, these top-flight defensive prospects. To me, those five, I'll go. I'll say four, Yokoharu, Boquist, Schmaltz, DeBrinckit, should be as close to untouchable for this organization as you can get. I'm not saying five years ago or six years ago they would be. But looking at the status of the organization now, I think those guys, barring a major, signed, cheap, young superstar coming back, which I don't even know who that would be, um, you don't trade any of those four because they are essential to the next decade of your franchise.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're they're absolutely the foundation that they're going to have to build upon, especially with... Some of the more expensive contracts that the team currently has on the books, you need guys like that to produce. And getting rid of them to get a guy like Artemi Panarin or anybody of that kind of similarity, just I think it'd be silly, and I think it would be counterproductive, and it, it honestly would just defeat the entire purpose of what Stan Bowman's been trying to do this off season. So. As much as everybody kind of is fantasizing about this Artemi Panarin reunion, I once again reiterate, just let it go. It's not going to happen, and it's not the right thing for the team to do.
2: I agree. I agree. All right, really good episode. I really enjoyed that. I think for having one game under our belt, you and I got to a lot of stuff. Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks for making it work tonight on a busy night with a late Cubs game. I know you need to be uh, pretty tuned in, too. Remember, you can leave us a voicemail, 708-713-5324. 708 713 5324. I will tweet that out from the Madhouse Podcast account. If you don't follow us on Twitter, and why wouldn't you? It's twitter.com/slash Madhouse Pod. We update all of our latest episodes on there, everything on there. You want to help out my friend Andy? You want to enter into our charity raffle we're going to have here in a couple months? GoFundMe.com/slash Madhouse Pod. Every $5 gets you an entry. You want to help out James and I and the podcast that way? Patreon.com slash MadhousePod. We appreciate any sort of pledge you can make to the podcast. We are revamping our reward system. Uh we had some t-shirts, some koozies, some things to give away. We're going to sort of rework that whole thing. Um, because we ran into some issues with things getting lost in the mail and not showing up and blah, blah, blah. So that's going to be reworked. Um, but we will find a way to thank you. Um, for your donations on Patreon. Jay will well. come
0: dance at your wedding.
2: That's for sure. I'll do that. I'll do that for free. Um, but until <laughs> next time, thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, which has been brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris 708 478 6090. Marishka's and Crest Hill, family owned and operated since 1933, and Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. Visit Chuck'sCafe.com for more information. there are in Burbank and Darien. Chuck'sCafe.com. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast for my partner, James Nemo. Nemo? 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 Nemo. Nemo, James Nemo. I am Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.
1: Hot flashes, irritability, intimate dryness, even unsatisfying sex. Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck, a board-certified OBGYN gyn who has spent over 20 years helping women just like you safely find relief from these very natural symptoms without having to resort to hormones. To help my patients feel their best, I recommend products from Bonafide Health. Bonafide is a women's health company dedicated to providing women with non-hormonal and clinically validated products that work. Bonafide provides safe and effective solutions to manage a range of menopausal, sexual health, and PMS-related symptoms. That's why I recommend Bonafide products to my patients every day. In fact, I am also a Bonafide medical advisor. What I like most is that Bonafide products provide women real relief without compromise. Ladies, don't waste another minute feeling less than your best. Go to hellobonafide.com and use code RADIO39 to save 20%. That's hellobonafide.com and code RADIO39.
2: These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Offer valid on subscription only. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm.
0: And then a the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mm-mm, grilled onions and a butter bagel too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mm. Bye, 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 bye. I participate in McDonald's.